Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. The Fire and Water Network proudly presents JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the Justice League Unlimited animated series. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and we're going out of air date order again to cover episode four of Justice League Unlimited, Fearful Symmetry. This episode sets up the ongoing plot line that will run through seasons one and two and properly introduces a new Justice League member who will become a fan favorite. We haven't done this in a while, but let's do a Watchtower File feature on The Question. Watchtower Files. The Question was the creation of writer and artist Steve Ditko, originally appearing in Charlton Comics' Blue Beetle Number 1, published in June of 67 as a backup feature. That same year, Ditko created Mr. A, a character initially published in fellow artist Wally Wood's independent comic Wits End. Mr. A was Ditko's outlet for espousing his objectivist beliefs based on the writings of author and movement founder Ayn Rand. One of the tenets of objectivism is A is A. Mr. A was a ruthless crusader for justice who only saw in black and white with no shades of gray. In 1966, Ditko had left Marvel Comics over what most consider a dispute with his editor and Spider-Man and Doctor Strange co-creator Stan Lee over proper writing credit. He went back to one of his old employers, Charlton Comics, then working under his old friend and fellow artist Dick Giordano as editor, who was starting up a new line of action heroes for the company. There, he revived one of his old Charlton co-creations, Captain Adam, and created the new Blue Beetle, Ted Cord, and a more comic-code-friendly version of Mr. A in the form of The Question. The Question was really Vic Sage, a crusading investigative reporter of Hub City. Contacted by his old college professor, scientist Aristotle Rodor, Sage began to investigate Rodor's claims that his former business partner, Dr. Twain, was going to sell a potentially dangerous invention they created to third world nations. The invention was pseudoderm, a skin-like bandage developed for medical purposes. But the material and the gas used to bond it were proven to have toxic results when applied to open wounds. Sage agreed to help Rodor and used the pseudoderm as a disguise so Twain and his accomplices wouldn't recognize his famous face. As the question, Sage brought Twain to justice. Sage and Rodar continued to partner on similar investigations, and Rodar modified the gas to change the color of Sage's pre-treated clothes and hair on contact. The question initially wore a pale blue suit and a fedora with an orange shirt and a yellow tie. Sage's red hair changed to black when in question guise. The question continued as a backup feature in Blue Beetle for its short initial four-issue run through December 1967. Three unused question backups were published in a standalone one-shot, Mysterious Suspense No. 1, cover dated October 1968. A month later, a fifth and final issue of Blue Beetle with another question backup appeared. The Charlton question stories were purportedly scripted over Ditko's plots by D.C. Glansman, except for Blue Beetle No. 4, scripted by Ditko's future Hawk and Dove collaborator, Steve Skeets. In comic book artist number 9, August 2000, Skeets recalled Ditko objected to the scripter having the question refer to the criminal he was addressing as my friend. He got a lengthy, multi-page letter telling Skeets a character would never refer to such a person in that manner. That is a story where the question famously leaves two criminals to die rather than risk his own life to save them. Ditko's most objectivist moment with the character was scripted by the very liberal and politically opposed Skeets. The question would resurface in 1976 in Charlton Bullseye No. 5 in a story written by up-and-coming fans soon-to-be pro Roger Stern and Michael Oslin. 
and drawn by the legendary Alex Toth. Charlton Bullseye was a Charlton-sanctioned fanzine edited by another burgeoning comic pro, Bob Layton. Charlton would give the character another go a few years later with the company's own comic version of Charlton Bullseye. Issue number one, published in June of 81, featured a team-up between Blue Beetle and The Question by another fan wanting to turn pro, Dan Reed. Reed offered to create the comic for free if Charlton would publish it, just to get exposure and work under his belt. They agreed, and the action heroes got a brief revival in the title. Reed also produced a Captain Adam story for issue number seven. The strange journey of the action heroes continued at another publisher, but not the one you think, not just yet. Bill Black's AC Comics briefly acquired the rights to publish new stories featuring Charlton's action heroes. Blue Beetle appeared in AmeriComics number three, August 1983, followed up by the AmeriComics special number one the same month, featuring Beetle teaming up with the question Captain Adam and the captain's sometimes partner Nightshade on a team called the Sentinels of Justice. The art in this special was provided by a young Greg Guller, who would go on to be the regular artist on DC's Hawk and Dove revival in just a few years. Full circle. Shortly after this, DC Comics bought the right to most of Charlton's action heroes outright, mostly as a gift from VP Paul Levitz to executive editor Dick Giordano, who still had a soft spot for his old friends. Blue Beetle led the charge into the DC universe with Crisis on Infinite Earths number 1, April of 85, and the question and the other action heroes joined him in Crisis Number 6, September of 85. The Charlton heroes were said to be residents of Earth 4, but by the end of the series, they would be folded into the newly created single DC universe. Initially, DC planned on publishing the Charlton heroes, including the question, in a weekly experimental title alternately known as Comic Cavalcade Weekly and Blockbuster Weekly. The question stories were to be written by Mike W. Barr and illustrated by Stan Walk and Rick Magar. Although early issues were completed, these plans were scrapped, and the characters were developed independently of one another under a variety of editors and offices within D.C. Meanwhile, another project at D.C. was in the works that was initially to use the Charlton Heroes as well. Alan Moore's and Dave Gibbons' revolutionary deconstructionist miniseries Watchmen would have seen the question in the pivotal role ultimately filled by Rorschach. When Jick Diordano asked that the new-to-D.C. characters not be used in a way that would leave them off the table for future creators. In other words, mostly dead. <laughs> yeah. The influence of the paranoid, obsessive Rorschach would reverberate back into the question himself, although the influence wouldn't be quite so immediate. The JLU version of the character owes a lot to Moore and Gibbons' grittier, more disturbed analog. A very traditional question next appeared in Blue Beetle's new DC title in issues 4 through 7 in 1986. With the question number 1 in February of 87, the hero had finally earned his own ongoing title, but was in for a mature revamp from writer Denny O'Neill and penciler Dennis Cowan and inker Rick Magar. With his previous history and origins left mostly intact, O'Neill and Cowan took the character on a spiritual journey, rising from a near-death experience with the help of adversary-slash-ally Lady Shiva and mentor Richard Dragon. Both characters O'Neill had created and written for DC in the 1970s. The question's look in the early issues became the standard for the character, and the one used on JLU. Long, dark, blue trench coat, suit and fedora, and gold-orange shirt. Cowan began drawing the character in more casual clothes, still maintaining his no-face look, of course, but keeping Vic Sage's red hair while in disguise. The question was kept out of most of DC's crossovers and events during this period, becoming involved in noirish criminal and political plot lines. He only crossed over with Green Arrow and Batman under O'Neill's watch. The series lasted 36 monthly issues and then five issues of the Question Quarterly afterward, running through spring of 1992. 
After a one-shot, The Question Returns by O'Neill and artist Eduardo Beretta in 1997, The Question resurfaced with his former Charlton action hero in LAW, Living Assault Weapons, miniseries in 1999, written and inked by Bob Layton and drawn by Dick Giordano. This revamp of the characters didn't really take and was largely ignored in DC's ever more confusing continuity. In 2000, The Question played a major role in the Batman Huntress Cry for Blood miniseries by writer Greg Rucka and artist Rick Burchett. The Question became both a mentor and a love interest to the Huntress when she found herself on the outs with the Batman family. This take would prove influential on JLU, as we shall eventually see. The Question received a 2005 miniseries by writer Rick Veach and artist Tommy Lee Edwards, moving the character from Hub City and Gotham to Metropolis to interact with Superman and his supporting cast. This take didn't last, however, as Greg Rucka still had plans for the character. In the weekly series 52, 2006-2007, Sage trains Batman's supporting character and Gotham City Police Department officer Renee Montoya to take his place as the question. Sage then succumbs to lung cancer and dies, passing on the mantle of the faceless Avenger. Since then, the question's continuity has been all over the map, much like the publishers, and doesn't bear any weight on this DCAU appearance. After JLU, the question would appear on Batman the Brave and the Bold, voiced by actor Nicholas Guest. When this version resurfaced in the direct-to-home media sequel Scooby-Doo and Batman the Brave and the Bold, he was voiced by JLU's question, Jeffrey Combs. He also appeared in the DC showcase short Blue Beetle, voiced by David Kay. Despite some allusions to his comic home of Hub City, the question has yet to make it on to the CW shows. The creators of those shows intended to bring him in, but apparently WB has plans to use him in their films. Will we ever see his non-face on screen? Only time will tell. Of course, we have seen a no-face character in a trench coat and fedora on screen. 1990's Dick Tracy film starring Warren Beatty featured a substantial role for The Blank, and you have to wonder if Ditko wasn't influenced by Chester Gold's design from the classic comic strip. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's jump into Fearful Symmetry itself. It originally aired on September 4, 2004. Story by Stan Berkowitz, teleplay by Robert Goodman, directed by Dan Ribba with music by Michael McQuiston. In the cast, we had Carl Lumley as John Jones, Nicole Tom as Kara slash Taya, Ken Schreiner as Green Arrow, Jeffrey Combs as The Question, Robert Foxworth as Professor Hamilton, Charles Napier as General Hardcastle, Sam McMurray as Gilbert Hallstrom, Roger Rose as Lasser, and Cree Summer as Female Singer. Supergirl suffers from very vivid, recurring nightmares, the latest of which has her mercilessly chasing and then murdering a scientist. She asks for John's help, but his mental probes reveal nothing conclusive. While confiding in Green Arrow, their conversation is overheard by the question, a Justice League member everyone seems to be weary of due to his reputation as an obsessed conspiracy theorist. Question suggests this all may be tied to Supergirl's medical stay at Star Labs after she was injured during Superman's time under Darkseid's control. The heroes travel there, but Superman's old friend, Professor Hamilton, assures Supergirl that nothing nefarious happened during her stay there. Despite this, the heroes are attacked on the lab's lawn by armed assailants and a robot aimed entirely at Supergirl. They all recognize the robot as the same model the League uses for their training and then go to speak with the man who commissioned those robots and also put Supergirl in Star's hospital care, General Hardcastle. The less-than-welcoming Hardcastle meets his visitors with a loaded kryptonite gun, but Green Arrow in question disarm him. It reveals that he was forcibly retired after his failure against the brainwashed Superman and nervously waits for the secrets he knows to come back to haunt him. He tells the leaguers that big business and the military have been involved for years. 
that they have experimented on metahumans and aliens for security purposes and profit. He's unaware of any reason for Supergirl's dreams, but suspects those who replaced him may be involved. After the heroes leave, Hardcastle has another visitor, seemingly an older and more aggressive version of Supergirl who calls herself Taya. The nervous general reaches for his gun, but is disarmed by her heat vision. Back on the watchtower, Kara awakens from another dream and tells Green Arrow in question she knows Hardcastle is dead. John finds a news report detailing a missing scientist named Halstrom that matches the man from Kara's first dream. While Arrow and Supergirl go to investigate the scientist biotech employer, Nuvogen, the question follows the lead on the reporter who broke the story. From him, he discovers that he got the tip from a girl he's been seeing, a real farmer's daughter type, who has trouble sleeping at night. Meanwhile, Green Arrow and Supergirl sneak into Nuvogen and discover that Supergirl has been cloned. They find video footage of the age-accelerated clone that matches Kara's dreams, pointing to a psychic link between the two. Taya lures Supergirl and Green Arrow into her hard light simulator and then attacks them. The two Supergirls beat the snot out of each other and wreck the holographic city. With Kara down, Taya admits having her dreams watched is putting a damper on her top secret work. But the question arrives and confronts her with the greater truth. She also shares Supergirl's conscience, and it makes it difficult for her to kill. He tests the theory on himself, asking her to kill him. She hesitates long enough for Supergirl to get the upper hand in their battle. Monitoring all this is a shadowy figure who receives a phone call from an unknown party. He simply answers, understood. And then the entire facility begins to blow, seemingly taking Taya with it. Later, Supergirl informs Hamilton of what happened, but he assures her that her DNA was not shared from Star Labs. Question believes that whoever is behind this, they want their own superhuman in case someone like Superman goes rogue again. At Star Labs, Hamilton walks over to the medical bay containing the body of the badly injured but not yet dead Galatea and promises to help her recover. So, boy, things get juicy with this one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to give away too much while this storyline builds because we do have some we do have some listeners who have said they're watching the show along with us, right? Um, but I think we do have to reference a few things that we know will come down the line, or else we'll forget when we get there. I think it's safe to assume that most folks listening to this show have either seen the series or they're familiar with Cadmus Labs, or as Jack Kirby originally called it, the DNA Project which he introduced in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen in the early 1970s. The late 80s, early 90s Superman team took that concept and ran with it, doing great things. Tim and company go even further and tie it into some other great DC lore, as we shall see. But I do have a question. In Kara's dream, we see some masked agents shoot kryptonite at her. Who did this to Galatea? Right. I mean, I would think her killing off Hallstrom was fully sanctioned. Because he was going to blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. So, are these other government agents who don't know about Cadmus? Well, it's a shadow. Yeah, know. or are they just part of? Are they part of the hard light simulation that just when she was chasing him through there? Because so were they? Were they in her program to begin with? Because it looked like they were, and then he left, right, and went to Star, and then she I, caught up to him there. Or was it all within the hard light? I don't know. We don't, I don't, I don't know. either. Yeah, yeah. If her behavior toward Hallstrom wasn't enough, her blowing up that driving car, which was obviously man, should tell you that this isn't Supergirl. Yeah. Even though in this sequence we see her as Supergirl. I mean, we see her as Supergirl here. Uh-huh. She doesn't look like Galatea, which we'll get into what she looks like later. But I'm guessing when she finds Hallstrom and he sticks the kryptonite-tipped medical robots on her, 
she's outside the hologram or the hard light simulator. And like I said, she might be at the real star labs mm-hmm. at that point, which right. would make sense. Um, we see Kara's room on the Kent farm and the boy band poster that Jean noticed in comfort and joy is still there. Mm-hmm. And I would bet the farm <laughs> that <laughs> they are folks who worked on the show. I would bet you. Because yeah. one of them is a little, like looks a little heavy older, set yeah. and older. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, they're not your typical boy band. So what was the name of the boy band in turning red? I, uh, it was like four. Was it four way or four? It was four something. There's five guys. Yeah, yeah. It was four something. Yeah, four town maybe. Four town, four town. Yeah, four town. Four t- four way sounds weird. Uh, four town, <laughs> four town. And there were five guys. Mm-hmm. Which if you guys haven't seen Turning Red, that is, it's a, it's a great movie. It is. If if you don't like that movie, if you don't like that movie because you don't like that movie, that's fine. If you like the don't like that movie for other reasons, people aren't liking that movie. Stop listening to our show. That's all. Yeah, I, say. I mean, because it is great, a great coming of age movie. Yeah. And, you know. And yes, it's about a Chinese Canadian girl. People who don't like stories about right, white people get over it. That's all I gotta say. Yep, you know, just, yep. I mean, good lord. And oh my gosh, girls get periods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The horror. She disobeys her parents, just like every kid in every story ever. Exactly. There's people losing their crap over that. I'm like, that, that's every story about kids. They always disobey, disobey. Right. I mean, every story ever about a kid that you can think of. There would be no story if they didn't disobey their, uh-huh. their parents. I, we're sorry. We're talking about animation that made me think of it, but we need to. I know. It. I know. Sorry. That's my fault. I say. You soapbox it. I know. I know. We should have that. Who gets on their soapbox the most during different episodes? <laughs> Ooh. Count yeah. how many times Cindy gets on her soapbox versus how many times Chris gets on his. Yeah. <laughs> I love that uh, we see the heat vision holes in the ceiling and the fact that she is worried about Paul Kent getting mad at her over it later. <laughs> well, and but the thing is, I mean, you know they went through that with Clark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. You remember on Smallville when he first got heat vision when he basically got horny? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like that Kara goes to Jean and it's nice bit that he says he doesn't understand dreams because he doesn't have them, but... Did that come up in the Doctor Destiny episode? I don't know. Didn't he have dreams in that I one? Don't know. I think he did. I know. <laughs> so, hmm. hmm. Uh, when Kara tells Green Arrow about her dream, he says he's had some some that feel pretty real too. Then he turns around and stares at Black Canary. <laughs> he is such a horn dog. <laughs> and they are really building toward that, but you know, uh-huh. I mean, I like the the implication that he's having, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> those kind of dreams. <laughs> Uh, this is when the question walks up and steals the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, voiced by the incomparable Jeffrey Combs, who is still best known for the reanimator films. Uh, I was fond of his movie, Dr. Mordred, where he's basically Dr. Strange and everything but name. It was also made by Full Moon Entertainment, who made all those, you know, B movies in the late 80s, early oh, okay. 90s. Uh, but he's done a lot of cool stuff, including extensive runs on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's been on Enterprise. I mean, he's, he's been in a lot of things. He was on Stand Against Evil. That right. we like, you know, so. Uh, this take on the question was fairly unique to this show, to my knowledge. The Rorschach influence is obviously there. But making him a faceless, creepy Fox Mulder type was a sheer stroke of brilliance. Yeah. For many people, myself included, despite the comics I've read before and since, this is the best version of the character. Absolutely. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Green Arrow seems to already know him, which may point to the crossovers the two had when they had mature reader titles at DC in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. He already knows the question's yeah. a nut, you know, to his notion. So, 
Question brings them to his quarters on the watchtower, which is covered in newspaper clippings and strings connecting the grand conspiracy. He believes everything is connected to from global warming to boy bands like the guys on Kara's poster. And Girl Scout cookies. And Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> that's in a different episode. Oh, but, sorry. Yeah, sorry. yeah, that's a different episode. But yeah, sorry. you're right. It's in our trailer. So it's, oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. in our new trailer. But yeah, that's when he's talking to the Huntress. Okay, Lord okay. But, but yeah. And this brings up another point, and I, this is the first time we've seen it, it it looks like the question lives on the watchtower. Yes. At least partially. Mm-hmm. So it's like they they have quarters, and we'll find out later that, like, Vigilante and Shining Knight have quarters there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it's... it's Well, and like they referenced later, you know, Green Arrow, superhero gig don't pay much. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you wouldn't necessarily have money to yeah. have living quarters right. elsewhere, an apartment right. or house or what have you. Yeah. Question tells them uh, they'll need help, but Green Arrow wants none of it. There's an exchange here that is brilliant and one of the best on the show, but we'll leave that for our superlatives. Mm-hmm. We'll just we'll leave that there. I, I love the questions design here. He's got the darker colors. I definitely like the darker. Yeah, I definitely. do too. Yeah, I mean, it, when I go back and look at that, I mean, I always thought the question looked cool. And like, I, I remember, I mean, I, mean I'm, I was reading Crisis, so I remember when he showed up, but my, my friend uh, Grover Welch um, bought Blue Beetle and, and I just read his. You know, we did that. He'd buy yeah. some, I'd read some. But when the question showed up, Blue Beetle, like, oh, cool, it's the question, you know, and we thought he looked so cool, but he had that, he still had that pale blue suit on, but yeah. that, just that, that, just that notch up in the color yeah. just really makes it work a whole lot better, yeah. Yeah, but I, and I like the fact he's got his fedora, I mean, the design's really sharp on here, it's, it's, it, and a lot of times his suit looks completely black under his trench coat, like it's just a solid, you get the orange shirt, the gold shirt, but mm. then it's just solid black, it looks, it really looks good. Uh, Professor Hamilton has a new voice actor here. Robert Foxworth replaces Victor Brandt. And the designer looks looks a bit more like Johnny Quest's father from the yes. Johnny, Johnny uh, yeah, Benton Quest. So yeah. I think it's Benton, yeah. Uh, Foxworth is best known for his years on Falcon Crest, but he also played another unscrupulous scientist in Dan Curtis's production of Frankenstein, which I have yet to see. Oh. I've not seen, I love Dan Curtis's Dracula. I've not seen his Frankenstein. So oh, I need okay. to see that, yeah. Uh, major callbacks to legacy in this one, which is, of course, the one where Superman is brainwashed into believing he was raised by Darkseid mm-hmm. in the final episodes of Superman the Animated Series. It's amazing to think there was never any pushback from anyone at Cartoon Network about referencing shows that were now four or more years old and from a different series that were originally aired on a different network. Network, yeah. Yeah. They were ahead of the MCU in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were like, you know, you don't have to watch everything, but if you did... There's these extra nuggets, you yeah. know, that you can follow. Right. Hamilton shows them the same medical apparatus Kara saw in her dream, complete with kryptonite lance. Now, when he first shows it to them, the tip is not glowing, which I assume means the kryptonite radiation is turned off. Mm-hmm. When they show it right next to Supergirl, the tip is glowing green. Uh-huh. I think that's a goof, or she'd be passed out on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, we should mention something I don't think we brought the, up yet. In this series, Tim finally caved in to their animation studio's request that they start making vehicles and large equipment using 3D rendered models. He was against the CGI, but I think it mostly works. Right. Sometimes it looks a little dated, but most of the time the objects aren't on screen long enough for the Uncanny Valley thing to Take sneak in. Yeah. The helicopters look a little... For one, I don't think there's any landing gear on them, which is weird. Oh. <laughs> Not even a skid, you know, which is kind of weird. But 
Yeah, and the the javelin ships look particularly good. Mm-hmm. It's more when they get into like everyday, you know, like yeah, hel- hel- helicopters yeah. and things like that that looks a little. Eh. Uh, Hamilton comes up with a BS answer that uh, she felt vulnerable when injured and operated uh, operated on. So she developed a scenario in her head where she fought back. It's pretty slick. It convinces Green Arrow until that goon squad shows up. Yeah. So. Uh, if you don't want to raise suspicion about Star Labs, why would you attack the leaguers on the property? Yes, yes. <laughs> and why use government robots you know they are familiar with? Right. <laughs> Somebody's not thinking this through too well. And I don't know if it, it could be Taya herself. Yeah. Which would explain, you know, she's young and... Impetuous. She's impetuous. She's like, she's accelerated in age-wise, but doesn't mean she's any smarter or wiser than Supergirl. Right. So... The robot is once again the same design as Zeta from Batman Beyond and the Zeta Project spinoff, but that has long been established as the League's draining robot model, which they point out. They even call it Z8, the Z8 Project. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Question takes a bandolier of grenades off one of the soldiers and drops them on him. His friend comes back for him after he pulls the pins. Yeah. His friend comes back for him, but he was going to kill that guy. And it fits with that, you know, his outlook of A is A, bad is bad. This is similar to that comic we talked about where, you know, he's like, you know, it's, it, 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 I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, it is the ending of Batman Begins. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. you yeah. Know? It's kind of that same thing, you know. Although here he's like just dropping on him. That's killing him. I'm sorry, you know. Uh-huh. But the guy comes back and gets him before he blows up, but. Now we're really going deep under the bench, bringing back General Hardcastle from Superman Animated Series. Mm-hmm. And I will point out that General Hardcastle is on Superman and Lois, although uh, it's a woman. She's a you mm-hmm. know female general on there. Uh, but And she, so far, is Superman's ally. So far. <laughs> so far. There's some people in the military that aren't Superman's ally on that show, or they were, I'll just say. But, uh, but he ain't watching Superman and Lois. He should really be watching Superman and Lois. <laughs> it's really good, <laughs> and and they I like this. What I'm seeing this season has answered. I haven't seen they're 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 addressing some of the problems I had with, with the first the season. first season in a storyline that's more directly you know involved. Basically, the kids and I know David A. Scuderi. You're listening to this, yeah. I'm harping on their underage drinking again, but their underage drinking has been developed into something even worse. Yes, and they're addressing that storyline mm-hmm. head on. So yeah. So Hardcastle is voiced by the man with the sharpest jaw in Hollywood, Charles Napier. He's probably best known for playing roles in Rambo First Blood Part 2 and The Silence of the Lambs, but I always think of him as either the leader of the good old country boys band from the Blues Brothers or as a space hippie in Star Trek's infamous The Way to Eden. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Oh, boy. Siskoid's ears just perked up because that's one of his favorite Star mm. Trek episodes, mm. so... Uh, Hardcastle has a kryptonite bullet that can scatter on impact. This, again, reminds me a lot of what we're seeing on Superman and Lois right now. Yeah. With a lot of the, the military having, you know, weapons. Although, in the DCAU, you kind of understand why they did, because Superman did go rogue. Right. You know, I mean, uh, you know. Kind of understand why Batman has that dossier on all the people. Yeah, yeah. Green Arrow bravely steps in front of Kara while telling Hardcastle he may shoot him, but then he'll have a fighting mad Supergirl on his hands. Yep. But then the question just about breaks his arm and 
disarms him. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, pun intended. I remember thinking, wow, they're really going dark here. On most kids' shows, there is no questioning authority. Mm-hmm. The government is good and has your best interest in mind, especially at the time. This came just a few years after 9-11 when a lot of material was leaning back toward that idea as well. Very nationalistic, you know. Right. Uh, so this is pretty ballsy. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really is. For, for a show that's ostensibly showing, selling action figures mm-hmm. to kids, it's, we, I know we bring that up all the time, but it's still, we gotta. It is such a smart series. Yeah, it's such a smart, smart series, yeah. Hardcastle says the government has been in cahoots with big business for decades. Considering we know of really only two prominent businessmen in the DCAU, and one of them is one of our main heroes, I wonder who that other guy could be. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as Superman letters say, it's Lex Flippin' Luthor. <laughs> uh, I think it's, we don't know it's Luthor, but I'm just saying, it's probably Luthor. <laughs> like, it's probably aliens, you know, that type of thing. Uh, I think it's funny that the question refers to Jean as Martian when he asked for their beam up. Wouldn't a conspiracy theorist be pretty freaked out by hanging out with aliens? You know? Well, but by the same token, he's like, see, I told you. Yeah, that's you true. Know? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of names, Green Arrow calls Supergirl Kara in this episode a lot, just like Green Lantern did. What is with these guys blowing secret identities? Again, it's because she's a teenage girl and they're like, eh. But I guess if Question is digging through her trash, he probably knows her civilian name. But, mm. so. And then we finally meet Taya or Galatea. This episode was originally going to be called Galatea, actually. Right. According to Wikipedia, Galatea is a name popularly applied to the statue carved of ivory by, by Pygmalion of Cyprus, which then came to life in Greek mythology. In modern English, the name usually alludes to that story. Galatea is also the name of Polyphemus' object of desire in Theocritus's Adilus 6 and 11, and is linked with Polymephus again in the myth of Acus and Galatea and Ovid's Metamorphoses. And I probably just slaughtered all those names because I don't, you know, yeah, Greek, I, Greek, Greek, it's all Greek to me. Yeah. So uh, it's okay. It's, I'm, I'm, it, I'm glad you attempted that, not yeah, myself. Yeah. I, I'm usually fairly up on my Greek myths, but I wasn't aware of this one. I, the name Galatea didn't mean anything to Mm-mm. me when I saw this. I wondered why they picked it. Yeah, I, I didn't, you know, we'll get to Because you knew it was for a reason. We'll get to her visual in a minute, but I'm like, why'd they call her that? You know? Yeah. So, uh, the creators take the opportunity to make the more mature Supergirl, here's where we go, look like Power Girl, mm-hmm. boob window and all. And of course, Power Girl was originally the older Earth 2 Supergirl. Right. Yeah. Uh, Taya obviously murders Hardcastle here, and Kara even knows it, which is really disturbing if you think about it. She just talked to the guy and then witnessed his murder at the hands of some version of herself. I mean, that's got to mess you up. Yeah. John pops back into the story to share the news footage of Halstrom's disappearance, and the network is owned by one of the companies on the Questions conspiracy list, so that's why he's so sure that's the right angle to pursue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lasser, the reporter, interacts with a guy in the local reporter's hangout, Bar he calls Jerry, but he is clearly based oh my gosh, yes. on Carl Kolchak from Kolchak the Night Stalker, played by Darren McGavin. He has his pork pie hat and rumpled blue suit. Even. Yep. I mean, he looks just like him, and I love it. And it's great that in this, I mean, the X-Files owed a lot to Kolchak, Kolchak. which they got Darren McGavin on the show at one point. 
they could not use Miss Kolchak, although they wanted to. Right. But for rights issues, he had to play a different character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they all that you know. So it's it's great that they're you know tying all these they're tying all these strings together, just like the <laughs> conspiracy. Very yeah. Yeah. Then we get a great scene where Lasser gets in a cab manned by a redheaded man in a brown suit and fedora. Lasser may be a reporter, but he doesn't recognize that the cab driver ID shows a Middle Eastern man in a turban, uh, and he doesn't match the driver. Now, that's kind of a stereotype, but we'll let it go. I think it was to show. I think it was just to show that he was so didn't match. Yeah, he didn't match, know. yeah. The driver asks him what he thinks of the new pop music these days, which Lasser responds, hate it. So the driver turns it up loudly, and then a swirl of gas surrounds him, and suddenly the cab driver is the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, the creators had a fondness for this character to give him such a moment and even show him as Vic Sage, even though they never name him. Do you think the question was also in disguise as Jerry slash Kolchak? I don't know. Because he seemed like he was pumping him for information. I know. I, it, it, it possibility. Yeah. You know? that, I don't, that's I don't one know if those, he had enough time to change. That That's one of those realm of possibility. For and sure. I don't really know if the question's like a master of disguise or anything, mm-hmm. really. He's not, never been established like that. Not like Batman or anything. But, yeah. Lasser tells question that the uh, girl he's been seeing doesn't sleep well at night, meaning Lasser and Taya were in a very adult relationship, again, ostensibly on a kid's show. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And I think she's got a, a, a handshake like a vice or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> Real farmer's daughter type, as we pointed out. Yeah. Synopsis. So what did you think about how Green Arrow was able to replace the nouveau gen guard coming on the night shift with his, uh, you know, got a, what was it? To a Vacation. Ru- to Aruba yeah. or something like that. I or, mean, yeah. how did he get the money for that? See, I think on here, I think Oliver Queen still has his fortune. Okay. Okay. I, I think he, I think, I think they allude to that later. Okay. That he has his Cause fortune. Because I, I was like, wait a minute, where did he get the money from that? Or is there a pot of money that Bruce Wayne donates to. Here, if you need this for your cases, here you go. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Green Arrow appears as a guard, and he's like, hi, I'm Ollie, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, he takes over the ship. Yeah. He's like, where's so-and-so? Oh, he got a, you know, he, he got a... Trip to Aruba. A trip to Aruba or somewhere, yeah. And, and, and Supergirl's like, a trip to Aruba? Hey, I had to send him somewhere. <laughs> Why not? They then realize that... Uh, they, you know, get into, they get into Nouveau Gen's computers and realize Kara has been cloned. And they aren't really too surprised by it, then no. soon. But Bizarro was cloned from Superman, so it's honestly nothing new. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, Q, Weird Alice, I think I'm a clone now. There always seems to be two of me around. Uh, the scene where the hard light room turns on is really well done. Mm-hmm. There's some great panning shots as the light swirl around them and the sea appears. Great job as always, Dan Riba. Oh, yeah. And, of course, this is basically like the Next Generation holodeck, you know. Yeah. It even kind of looks like it, you know, the way the, the grid pattern and everything. Mm-hmm. So, What did you think about Taya gloating about being more mature? <laughs> My. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she doesn't seem to have uh, any problem killing herself as... In other words, Supergirl, though, does she? No, uh uh-uh. Yes. But she wants to be the only one. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Question takes a real risk daring her to try and kill him. She hesitates, but how long would she have hesitated, you know? Uh We'll never know since Supergirl drops a Hummer on her. Uh You know, she literally picks up a Hummer and, like, drops it on her. Then we get that phone call to a shadowy bald man. Hmm. (laughs) Ooh, what could it be? Yeah. (laughs) Then, of course, everything starts blowing up. Taya knows what's going on and says, No, I can do this! But apparently, whoever is behind this is willing to at least injure her. 
if not possibly kill her because right. they can probably make more, you know. Yeah. You know, kill all you want, we'll make more. Uh, Kara's phone call to Hamilton and then his heel turn reveal is a gut punch. What do you think about that? I was just like, oh my gosh. But if you remember from Superman, you know, he was Superman's biggest supporter. He helped him, da-da-da. He feel, I mean, he, you know, okay, I've got to protect the people of this earth. Right. You and know, they even, it's, it's, it's understandable where he's coming from, which, you know, the it, best villains are. It is. I mean, it definitely is. And even in... At well, Leg- I don't know if I'd really call him a villain, but no, you know, no, you know I, what I mean. No, I wouldn't yeah. either. I mean, he, you know, that's the thing. I mean, through all this... Uh, they do a really great job of it, it's it's you understand why the humans are basically doing what they're doing to kind of protect themselves. And there's times when the Justice League really looks like they're stepping over the line. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's really and they they didn't have to you know do that and they do and it really goes back to legacy because Superman like really scares Hamilton mm-hmm. in the moment in those scenes and then they show him interviewing people at the end and he he's one of the people that says i just don't know if i can trust him anymore or something so i mean it i mean talk about picking up some seeds you know they didn't they didn't for two seasons in justice league Mm -hmm. i mean they kind of i mean they kind of in the very first episode address that you know superman's addressing the un and he kind of mentions i'm you know winning your trust back or whatever and then we get you know the season two premiere where Batman, you know, he wound you up like a tin soldier and set yeah. you loose on the world. And that's why Superman's got you mad on about Darkseid. But they really don't address how the humans, how Earth reacted to that. Mm-hmm. And here we're getting it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this isn't, this isn't the last we'll see of Galatea. Oh, no, no, no. So, yeah, spoiler warning there. But So what did you think of this one overall? This was, yes, episode. You yes, know? yeah. And it was one of those cases it set up all the stuff. It also makes you realize, you know, some of the things they set up for Supergirl in, the, you know, the last two episodes you're going to see come to fruition later on. You right. You know, that right. character growth. Right. And we've, you know, the her and Green Arrow connected in mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, premiere episode. And now, you know, she comes to him with her problems. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's that relationship there. Oddly enough, it is kind of odd that Superman's not involved in this at all. That you didn't come to him, you know. But I mean, if she came to him, it would have kind of changed the dynamic of the story. Mm-hmm. And we don't want Superman involved yet in this, mm-hmm. you know. We kind of—it's really smart that they didn't involve Superman. So uh, this well, is, it also makes sense that you know you think she wouldn't go to Superman to solve her problem. She'd go to her buddy yeah, first, right? Yeah, because you know? she's trying to prove to Superman she can handle her problems mm-hmm, without having to run to him. Yeah. This is a surprisingly dark and cynical plot line for what, again, is ostensibly a kid's show. Uh, the creators are clearly interested in telling the most compelling stories they can, and they do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Stan Berkowitz is a mainstay in the DCAU and always delivers. He actually wrote some episodes of the Superboy TV series and was listed as producer on some episodes, which is now airing on Tubi along with pretty much every other sci-fi fantasy show that you ever want to watch. I think everything but the Green Hornet live action series is right. on there. Uh, I just watched the Road to Hell two-parter, which features Ron Eli as an older Superman and the first two Bizarro two-parters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the effects, eh, a little ropey. The, yeah. you know, the acting sometimes a little, eh, the budget's a little, but the stories are really good. Yeah. And they're, 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 it's fun. You know, it's, a, it's a fun show. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I've got like the first two seasons on Blu-ray or DVD, but I don't think I ever bothered getting the other two. Yeah. So now I can, you know, watch them on there. 
Uh, Robert Goodman is also a staff writer in the DCAU and DC Animated Features, but in recent years has branched out onto live action, writing many episodes of the series Elementary. So uh, here we're setting up the storyline. Everyone associated with the Justice League Unlimited, but the seeds were planted years ago, again, much like the MCU. If you followed along, you're rewarded for your fandom, but it's not necessary to have seen every episode. Mm-hmm. So, And we're introduced to the best interpretation of a classic comic hero. We've had a lot of Steve Ditko on this show. I mean, we had Captain Adam. Uh-huh. We had, um, we skipped one on, and for the minute, as everything. Then we had Hawk and Dove, uh-huh. and now we got the question. Right. So it's like the Steve Ditko show. There's something uh-huh. like, so. Uh, so for our superlatives... Power action feature. There are tons of great action beats in this episode, particularly the big fight between Kara and Taya. But my favorite is when Question arrives at Nouveau Gym. He looks at the key card security lock, which, you know, Green Arrow used before, uh, and that he got from the guy that he sent to Aruba. And as he's singing the pop song we heard in the cab earlier, he walks over and grabs a potted plant and just breaks the glass doors. Yeah. Then walks in while he's still singing the pop song. <laughs> And he's just like mumbling, you know, it's like, you know, just as he walks. <laughs> I love it. So what did you have for Power Action Feature? I honestly think it's General Hardcastle. Really? Because he was prepared. He was prepared with that kryptonite pistol. I mean, he didn't get a chance to, you know, have the gun on Taya, but he was ready when those heroes come in. He's like, I'm leveling the playing field. I'm, you know... I know what's happened. This is what's going on. You know. Yeah. I mean, sticking up for himself. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you think about how long has that guy been sitting there waiting? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just like that. It's like, yeah. Mm. Well, and it's kind of made me think a whole lot of how they're portraying Sam Lane on Superman and Lois right now. Mm. A little bit nuttier, of course. I, I, I know, but I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Rotating chairperson. So who did you have for a rotating chairperson? I, I I would have to agree with you that this is Supergirl's story. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think we could give it to the question, but, you know, I think, you know, this is Supergirl's story. Like, you, mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't want to give everything to the question. So, uh, you know, let, let's, let's, uh, let's give it to Supergirl. Yeah. Justice League Communicator. Uh, Justice League Communicator, uh, I don't know about you, but I think the exchange between our three leads where Ollie says, This whole trip might just prove the kids shouldn't eat nachos before bed. Peanut butter sandwiches. How did you... What? Do you go through my trash? Please. I go through everyone's trash. Yeah. (laughs) What's the big deal? (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, and I mean, we'll get into that, but the question's the guy that Batman looks at and goes... Dude, chill. You know, just, <laughs> you know, it's like, calm down, dude. <laughs> comic Connections. For Comic Connections, as we pointed out, Galatea looks like Power Girl, who is another version of Supergirl. Hamilton did do a heel turn in the comics at one point as well, becoming a villain. And the Cadmus Project storyline pulls a lot from DC lore, but the mix is all the DCAU's own. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do their own thing with it, so... Yeah, we're off to a great start. It's going to be fun when we dip back into this storyline. And a lot of times it'll just be in the background. Mm-hmm. There'll be some... I mention, mean, yeah. There'll be some mention. It, it definitely heats up more in Season 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the back half of Season 2 is all it, basically. But um, we don't get as much of it in Season 1, but it is peppered throughout. Mm-hmm. And we, we will see. Uh, and we'll introduce some more big characters that... that 
that are, um, you know, fan favorites and have made it into other media. And, and, uh, so it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to give a special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. Come back next time as we talk about one of our favorite episodes of the mm-hmm. series and one that has probably been replayed more in our house than any other episode, and that is Kid Stuff. See you then. Bye. JLUcast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. It just happened. You walked in my door, and now I don't want to be alone no more. Oops, I've done it. Told you how I feel. Just hope this time that I love is real.